When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Today marks the home opener for the Baltimore Orioles at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, which celebrates its 30th anniversary since opening in April of 1992. I spoke last year with Clinton Yates of ESPN's Around the Horn about the greatest baseball movies of all time, ranking my personal favorites and hearing Clinton's take on each of the classics. This is a real treat. A former voice you heard on T.O.P. a long time. Now, you you know, you see him all the time on Around the Horn on ESPN. Mr. Clinton Yates, sir. Thanks for joining us. Jay Frey, it is great to see you. I miss the district. Of course, it is my heart. And I'm glad to be here because we're talking about my favorite day. This is exciting. Yes, your favorite sport, baseball, and your favorite thing, baseball movies. Um, this is going to be great. So I've compiled a top 10 just to get everyone jacked for opening day. So before we get to the top 10, I had a couple honorable mentions. There was a bunch of kid movies I wanted to include. I was only had room on the list for two kid movies. So we'll get to those in a second. But first, hold on. Honorable- hold on. You saw what I wrote for the post back in the day about 90s kids baseball movies. We had a golden era in the time that we grew up with baseball movies. So I'm not telling anybody to go to old things I wrote back when, you know, dinosaurs were roaming the earth. But I have a very special place in my heart for 90s kids baseball movies. It's a large part of the reason why I love the sport, never mind the brand so much. Oh, yeah. Well, we can link to that in the article for sure. But I know I know you're the expert in the kids movies, baseball movies. So there's two on the actual list, but two honorable mentions first. Um, I had Angels in the Outfield. I wish could have cracked the list, but I had it as an honorable mention. You know, probably the first thing I ever saw Joseph Gordon-Levitt in, right? And uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's a good movie. And you know, one of the things about that movie that I think people, so there's a lot of, like the, the connectivity between children and baseball is very important. But the cool part about that movie is that that dude has a very, the story of the kid, like beyond the sort of paranormal angels factor, is that like, he's a kid with no family who just wants to see his team win. Right. We can all relate to that. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, I just lie in bed hoping my baseball team is any good. You know what I mean? Like that to me is the most relatable thing that anybody can really understand. It's great. Right. He says what his biological father will come back and, and pick him up from the orphanage when the angels win the pennant. <laughs> in swoops All Christopher the Lloyd, at, yeah. Christopher Lloyd as an angel. It, yeah, it's great. Everyone can do the flap. Uh, all right. <laughs> and then, um, and then the other kids movie, which I know it's probably going to kill you that I couldn't crack it on the top 10. Cause I love it. And actually just watched it with my wife the other day, rookie of the year. I love rookie of the year. I love rookie. Of the year. Rookie of the year is such a ridiculous film that it is impossible not to like. Okay. <laughs> like that joint makes no sense. It has no business anywhere. Gary Busey. I mean, come on. All, all right. right. Busey alert. Okay, whenever there's a Busey alert, you must take heed. So that is a great film. I'm glad to see it made the honorable mention, at least. Oh, yeah. I actually have a funny story real quick. I remember as a kid seeing it. I think it came out in 93. I think it was John Candy's last movie, actually, as he announced Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. He died right after that. This is the kind of stuff that Jay Frey knows. John's (laughs) last movie. Yeah. Great Um, movie. So I remember being in the theater. I think my grandparents took us. And you remember the big final thing when Henry row, row, row in Gardner, when he loses his, he loses his power, right? You know, it's going to happen by the end. And right. uh, he has to strike out all the people, the, the big slugger on the White Sox or whatever. And um, he gets one strike on him on the second strike is a long foul ball that just almost, and me, I'm so into the movie. I stand up and go, that's two. And I look around and I'm the only little idiot standing up in the theater. <laughs> it had me it had me. that's awesome man i mean listen that's what you know and that's the one thing i tell people all the time about this is sort of an aside but about baseball is like listen you don't have to fall in love with other things 
the game itself is pretty cool if you actually like it, you know, yeah. because of moments like that where you're like, yo, there's a build up here. We're trying to do something. If it happens, we're going nuts, you know. So that's what baseball provides patience and understanding before success. <laughs> I love it. All right. So there's the two honorable mentions. Like I said, I got two more kids' movies uh, on the list. And so okay. the first one at number 10, I have. The original Bad News Bears. Do you remember this one from 1976? Walter Matthau. Um, you know, I think he had just done The Odd Couple with Jack Lemmon a couple years earlier. And uh, this was like 17 years before they did Grumpy Old Men. But, um, you know, he's like an ex-minor leaguer coaching this ragtag little league squad. And they have their pitching ace, Tatum O'Neill, sort of a, uh, or I guess an early child feminist role as, you know, the, the, the young girl gets to be the star pitcher. Um, and she just won an Oscar for Paper Moon right before. But um, I, I thought it was funny. I, I think it sort of paved the way for, you know, the Mighty Ducks and Little Giants and the Sandlot and the, those kind of movies. Uh, I know they remade it with Billy Bob Thornton. But what are your thoughts on Bad News Bears? So Bad News Bears is such an important culturally relevant thing to the zeitgeist. Almost, if for no other reason than the title of the film itself. I used to date a girl who would always say, when something went wrong, bad news bears. You know yeah, exactly. what I'm saying? Like, yo, that is bad news bears. And, like, that's sort of a, a, a completely irrelevant point to, like, the actual film. But that tells you how much that that movie, again, entered the cultural discussion. And Matt Thou, I mean, smoking heaters in the dugout, you know, all that kind of nonsense. Like, these were normal parts of child <laughs> baseball. People forget about this. You know what I'm saying? The first time I saw an adult smoking cigarettes around kids was when I was in Little League, you know? Unconventional teaching. <laughs> Unconventional teaching. That's what my boy just said. And I'm like, yo, what's going on here? You're like, oh, right. This is what baseball players do. Fast forward 30 years, I'm smoking heaters with Ron Washington, you know what I'm saying, before some camp because he is still a major league coach. And that's what he does. Like, it is much more real than people want to admit to themselves. I love that movie. Oh, yeah. And it's a great point. And uh, it's not a relevant point. The fact that we all say it, uh, the T.O.P. softball team called themselves Breaking News Bears and everyone, something goes wrong, you say Bad News Bears. The T.O.P. softball team was terrible. Okay, (laughs) know that because I played against y'all all all the time and y'all were not good, but y'all had fun. You were a good player, Jay. Clinton was on the, you too, sir. Clinton was on the post. Uh, (laughs) But yes, Bad News Bears number 10. Um, I have a newer one for number nine. Maybe could have even gone higher in the list, but uh, Moneyball, 2011. I, I thought that was a very good flick. You know, you had the, you know, the dream team of Aaron Sorkin. I think Steve's alien. Maybe they adapted it. But, um, man, the, the cast, you look back and it was, you know, now you can say Oscar winning Brad Pitt since he just won a couple years ago as the, the coach with, uh, who is he? Uh, no, he's not the coach. He's Billy Bean. He's the general manager. He's Billy um, Bean. Got, yep. Philip Seymour Hoffman is Art Howe. Okay. Yeah. That's the most important part about all of this because Art Howe is the most nondescript person in the history of baseball. That guy walking to the grocery store, he could tell you he was the manager with his jersey on. You'd be like, sure, whatever. Art Howe. <laughs> yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman playing that role to me was, there's a lot of things he's done, you know, from Capote to Old Boy and Boogie Nights. He's done the gamut. But playing that character as just sort of the normal guy I don't know, man. It showed to me so much about Phil's range. You know what I mean? And listen, obviously the late great and so forth, but like that movie to me is, it's not my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman role. And I don't think it's his best, but I think it was the most effective, if that makes sense, in terms of what he was portraying from what we knew of the actor to what we never knew about the character. Because again, nobody knows who Art Howe is, (laughs) but he did it well. And this is one of the rare cases, Jay Frey, where, you know, all of you, you know, people who think that you're smart try to tell me every time I see a movie, oh, the book's better. The movie's better than the book. Okay. <laughs> That's a reality of Moneyball. Sorry, I get it. But like, no, the movie's better than the book and the book is fantastic. So that tells you what I think about Moneyball. Well, I agree. You have the book, but then then you get Brad Pitt, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, I think Chris Pratt is is one of the players. And uh, Jonah Hill, of course, as the, the number crunching, you know, analytics guy. You add Correct. the music. You have the little song that Brad Pitt's daughter plays in the end, says, you're such a loser, dad. Just enjoy the show. Like, that's where film can elevate uh, the material from a book, for sure. The best part of that film, the best line in the entire movie is when Billy Bean, he looks at him, he goes, so wait, what do I do now? And Jonah goes, well, I, I'm going to be here. And he just says to him, oh, no, I don't watch the games. <laughs> and, just out. Out. and you're like, what the hell is that? The reason why this matters to me is because I'm going to tell you an inside, no pun, well, pun 
needed yeah. inside baseball story about my life. I'm at the winter meetings in, I don't really remember where. And Billy Bean walks up to me. I did not know him at the time. And he said, <laughs> That's awesome. Clinton, it's great to meet you. And by the way, let me tell you something about Billy Bean. Gorgeous human. All right. He was well-dressed, hair, tremendous. I was looking at, I was staring at him for a long time. He's just a good looking guy, smart dude. He just said, what up? You know what I'm saying? And gave me some dap. So we like Billy Bean. We like Moneyball and we love the Moneyball movie even more. So in your opinion, Brad Pitt, an equally good looking gentleman gets to play the Billy Bean. Let me tell you something. I like to use a term in my sports analysis, big time air quotes here um, called the playground pick'em. I might pick Billy Bean if I got to model some clothes over Brad Pitt. I'm just saying. That's how good this man looks. Davey, my homie, is here, by the way, who played baseball with me. He's looking at me like, really? Billy Bean looks that good? Yes, he does. He's a homeless man. He's a great guy. Billy Bean, I love Billy Bean. This is the Clinton Yates analysis we wanted right there. Uh, All right. Number eight. Um, Another relatively recent movie, but God, now that I look at it, it's been eight years ago. Where does the time go? Um. 42. Uh, I love 42. Uh, Chadwick Boseman. It was the first, I think it was the first role I saw him in actually. And um, it was the first of his three sort of, um, you know, biopics of historic black figures. He did Jackie Robinson, then did James Brown and then Thurgood Marshall. He did sort of a trilogy. Then of course we all know what happened with Black Panther and the five bloods and he's going to win for my reigning uh, this month again, next month guarantee. You should, um, by the by. Say again? You should win for that by the by. Oh, I think he will. And on, I, I might say something controversial, but I think even if he hadn't died, I think he would be in the running too. Uh, they, that's not controversial, but it is it is touchy. And that's an interesting thing to say because I think a lot of people assume exactly what your point is. Like you sort of give it to him posthumously because you kind of have to. No, it was that good. And I, this is going to sound weird. I don't mean to be critical, but like, I, you know, I, that biopic run, it got a little weird for me in the middle because it was like, for exactly the reason you said, he played for so many different people where you're thinking, you're a better actor than this. And by better, I just mean in terms of like, you can play people that other people have never heard of or don't exist in real life and still be excellent at it. And that movie showed it. Getting back to 42 though. Yeah, getting back to 42 though. I, I don't love this film. I think, I think it's, a, it's, it's one of those deals where when you try to take on a story that everybody knows, you have to nail it in a way that nobody else has seen. And while it's a good movie, it's inspirational, this is almost, it's like a kid's movie that they don't call a kid's movie. Right. You know I mean, it's one of those I would show at baseball camp, you know what I'm saying? But I wouldn't necessarily watch with like, I don't know, one of my boys, you know what I'm saying? Like my kid brother loves that movie. He just graduated from high school. So like, I, 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 that movie, I was at an age where it doesn't do a ton for me, even though it is a very good film and it's a hard story to tackle, you know what I mean? But also it, it's got decent baseball. This is another one of my analysis things. The quality of the baseball in a film matters a lot. That's a B, that's got B grade quality that uh, 42 does. For sure. And I, I hear your point. I think that's sort of why it's a, a little towards the bottom of the list a little bit. Um, and now, actually, now that I think about it, Moneyball and Bad News Bears are probably better made movies than 42. Oh, stop it. Don't <laughs> respect your own list. Come on. But uh, I have it here, you know, similar to our conversation. Now that Chadwick's died, I really think it's going to take off in the whole you said you could play it at a camp or in a classroom or it's in, it's got like a hidden figures vibe where yes, it's like hand holding a little bit, but it's, it's got that mainstream, you know, I don't want to say dumbed down, but something that an audience, a wide range of audience, a mainstream audience can, can appreciate. That's a good way to put it. Um, hidden figures, by the way, Catherine of hidden figures, my stepmom's aunt, family right. business in these streets, Jafer. Catherine Johnson. Really? Catherine Johnson is a woman yeah. I've met many times. I've been in her house and eaten Thanksgiving dinner. That's amazing. Um, dang, I can't top that. Other than to say that I got to go to the White House with Chadwick and Harrison Ford when they got honored by the first black president. I'm Clinton Yates, Jay Fred. You know how it goes. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, Harrison Ford That's is great. great. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. So number seven, uh, another biopic. Uh, this is an old one. I'm pro- you've probably seen it, though. Pride of the Yankees. Did you ever see that one? about? Lou I've Gale? never seen this movie. All right, so it's from, you know me, I had to put one old, old one. Oh, you gotta have some old white guys. <laughs> no, exactly. uh, it's worth checking out. Um, the cool thing in this is Babe Ruth is actually in this movie. He, he, he plays himself in the movie. George yeah. Herman? 
George Herman is in it. Um, you know, not the best actor, but it's cool seeing him there. But uh, it's Gary Cooper. We, you know, we know him from High Noon, but he plays Lou Gehrig and looks eerily similar to him when he says, you know, today I consider myself the best or the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Um, and what was cool about this movie is it, it came out a year within a year of Gehrig's actual death. And, you know, in this air, in this, oh, wow. in this area, we, what year are we talking? I mean, so that, that for those the listeners who don't know, what year is that in actually on the calendar? So, so uh, Lou Gehrig dies, obviously, of the name of the disease, ALS, that would eventually bear his name, Lou Gehrig's disease, in 1941, and then this movie, Pride of the Yankees, comes out in 42. So the audience, the audience, it's, it's, honestly, it would be as if, um, I don't, I don't know what's an, if LeBron, if Kobe Bryant. I don't know, yeah, 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 if there was Kobe a, Bryant Kobe's, Kobe's your best, your best call on that, yeah. I was going to say Chadwick, but no, it's got to be the athlete, yeah, it's, right. uh, yeah, yeah, so that, that sort of is the power, and I think it still holds up, the baseball, it's, it's that old 40s running around, you know, I, 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 I don't mean to be, I don't mean to sound ignorant here, but it's the movie, in, it's in black and white, presumably. It's in black and white, but I believe, I, I have, you have to check, fact check me, but I think, I think Gary Cooper batted the wrong hand and they had to reverse him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's getting the baseball guys upset. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Yeah. I would notice that off the rip. That would have been a problem. But okay. So, I, so this one I think is slightly better for the whole um as a as a Maryland born and raised Cal Ripken admiring breaking the street guy. I think this is more about the off the field journey and the fact that Lou Gehrig couldn't lift his own trophies at that last beat. It, oh, it's like a man. heartbreaking him at the doctor's office and the doc says it's three strikes. Yeah. Bruh. Yeah, it's, I'm, it's early in the morning, Jeffrey. I'm not trying to cry about baseball. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, the next one, number six, um, this is a more of a, a magical supernatural, but, uh, the natural 1984 with Robert Redford, um, directed by Barry Levinson, that great Newman score that, that you can still, I can still hear it in my head when he hits that final home run, shatters the, you know, shatters the, the lights in the stadium and I mean, everyone knows that song and, um, the script itself, I don't know how I feel about it. It, it kind of detours with some like, you know, murder mystery kind of stuff, but, um, but I do love the notion that, you know, this tree that I, be- I believe his father planted gets struck by lightning and he makes a mythical bat out of the wood, Wonder Boy. And, you know, it's, I, I, if you like supernatural stuff like Field of Dreams, which is, is later on my list, but the natural is, is uh, one of those magical ones, I think. What do you think? I'm going to tell you something that might upset you and it might upset some of the listeners, but let me explain this to you. I hate the natural. <laughs> You're not the only one. I don't like this movie at all for a lot of different reasons. And the number one reason is we're storytellers. That's what we do. I think it's a good story told poorly. Um, and I also think, and this is where I go nuts about baseball reality. Worst baseball in a movie I've ever seen in the natural. People right. think that that Homer that blows up the lights is everything that happened. No, no, no. There is legitimate gameplay in that film that is garbage. And you're like, yo, how did you make a whole movie about baseball and apparently consult zero actual baseball humans? Because the way they play, listen, I understand that the game was different back in those decades, but people didn't play like that. You know what I mean? And so, like, it's a decent story told interestingly that ultimately becomes a love letter to Robert Redford, which, okay. That's a great reason to write a love letter. But that movie, to me, is about as overrated as it gets. It's the Hoosiers of baseball movies is what it is. Whoa, those fighting words. Who's Talk to me. Like- okay. <laughs> no, I, no I, uh, I, 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 I love Hoosiers, but I can feel you on The Natural, which is sort of why I had it middle of the pack. Is gotcha. Some people hold it on the top of their list, and I, I'm with you. I, I think people get caught up in the memory of that of the opening with the tree getting struck and the end with the home run, but they kind of overrate the middle. They forget about the middle, which is the, I don't see any gifts of the natural on the internet. You know what I'm saying? Cause that thing doesn't have staying power the same way. The kids don't love the natural, but that's just me. I mean, again, what was cool about the natural is that the natural is obviously a lot of people's kind of inroad to liking baseball of a certain age. And so I respect it in that regard, but I'm not watching that movie ever in my life unless I'm paid to do it. I think it's a I think it's a, a boomer phenomenon more than big time. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, number five. Uh, the other kids' movie. I, honestly, I could have put this number one, but number five, The Sandlot. I love this movie. Nineteen ninety three. 
to me, it is the baseball kids baseball movie equivalent of the Wonder Years or a Christmas story. Stand by me where you get that throwback nostalgic narration of all the kids that plan out. You got Benny the Jet Rodriguez and his people. Yeah, broadcasting chops as well in that movie. A little media angle towards the end. For those of you who don't know, that's kind of my favorite part, but go on. <laughs> no, it's true. And then you get James Earl Jones as the neighbor coming, the blind neighbor with, with the beast. And just the whole idea of them having to retrieve the ball and uh, knocking the cover off a ball, the way that stuff is described, it really, it puts you back in, in a, as if you're a, a child. And, you know, the fact that the kid doesn't know who baby Ruth is, it's just hilarious. It's hilarious. So, uh, and the, you're killing me, Smalls. Talk about quotes we still quote today. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you a funny story. So I'm here with my buddy Damien, who I grew up playing baseball with. And we're sitting on the porch literally 10 minutes ago. And he's talking about some people across the street. And he goes, yo, they got a Sandlot dog. Like, he straight up said that. And I was like, wait, they got the beast over there? And the I was Hercules. <laughs> New Orleans is where the beast is. That's where I am right now. And I was like, yo, that's hilarious. And that's exactly to your point. The cultural relevance of the Sandlot probably exceeds almost every other baseball movie if we're being actually real in terms of the American zeitgeist. And the Sandlot, again, great gameplay, great family story in terms of the stepdad, Dennis Leary, a tremendous role. I believe it was right either before or after that, that he came out with that song, A-Hole. You know what I mean? And you're like, yes, in fact, you are. You know, that movie. <laughs> I just saw you in that movie, you know, and it's, it's great. And so Benny the Jet, the Flyers, like, I think the Sandlot also brings back something that, I think to a lot of people, it's probably not as real as they wanted to believe. Like, Sandlot baseball is not exactly something that everybody did. You know what I mean? Like, we, we did it and we loved it. Right, but like, we grew up playing baseball, but like, I don't know that I really knew someplace where I could just go to the yard. Like, right. yeah, you had to call your friends. You couldn't just show up. You know what I mean? So, like, it, goes, it evokes an era in which, like, the notion that baseball was just kind of a natural extension of American childhood right. is real. And that to me is the best part about it. Like nobody talks about little league. Nobody talks about any of that crap. When the travel team rolls up on their bikes with their sweet unis, everybody's like, ah, who are you? Oh, Oprah, two hands. Get out of here. You don't want that, you know? And so it's pretty cool. Um, and the pool scene is obviously iconic. You know what I'm saying? The fact that they grew up and actually got together is amazing. You know what I mean? So, I, I mean, that there's no way to keep talking about the Sandlot. There are parks in America that invite humans to bring their children, sit on the lawn, sleep overnight, and watch the Sandlot on the big screen. Okay? And people do it. That's all you need to know about the Sandlot is the great American baseball film and story. Hands down. And it, it, it might, when, when, history is written you know decades from now it might wind up being the most immortal ever because the kids can enjoy it but the parents that grew up in that generation the older people can enjoy it it's just classic i have something to say though this is the second baseball movie on kids movie on your list which means there are no more as you stated which no means more. little big league has no <laughs> place that's a problem for me jay frey this is what this is what i'm going to say this only for the continuity purposes of this of this discussion sure little big league has the best actual in-movie baseball you've ever seen in your life okay so for those of you listening who don't know what little big league is it's a story about a kid whose grandfather bequeaths him the minnesota twins okay <laughs> which is the only reason why the movie even works because maybe the pirates but like any other team you'd be like that wouldn't happen that's our early like, 90s golden age premise right oh, there <laughs> oh golden age premise you know what i mean he consults his friends he's like what should we do should we get rid of these guys <laughs> the best base ken griffey jr is in that movie it's the best baseball you've ever seen in your life in a film, especially a film that's designed for kids. I love Little Big League. So that's that's my honorable mention on your list, if I can do that. We got to add that. We'll add that in with Angels in the Outfield and Rookie of the Year. Absolutely. Um, all right, cool. So yeah, Sandlot was five. Honestly, any of these top five could probably be number one. But number four, number four, A League of Their Own. Um, I think this movie is just great. 1992, obviously, you know, it's the what is it the i can't remember the name of the league but in the in the 1940s a b l a a p b l american all, all american girls uh baseball professional baseball league something like that yeah which was a, a a real thing when all the men went off to war and the women went to the factories they also went to the baseball field um i think obviously this is a little more takes a little liberties with the story but you get tom hanks saying there's no crying in baseball possibly the most quoted move line in any baseball movie yep and um, what my little film history tidbit I'll throw on is um, sort of the feminist angle is Penny Marshall directed this after she did Big. 
And um, it was she became the first woman director to direct back to back hundred million dollar grocers. So it really oh. showed really showed um, that women could direct, and we could have a historic year this year. You know, with Chloe Zhao if she wins for Nomadland. Right. Um, only the second ever to win best director but you know a woman doing that in the late 80s early 90s with big in a league of their own and then also the content of this movie where you have women in there playing baseball it is you know we love the sandlot but they have that now outdated line you play ball like a girl this right. the girls freaking do it and um yeah i think it deserves a spot high on any baseball list a league of their own is a great movie uh, this is the second time that i've brought up an x in terms of this discussion i dated a woman who this was her favorite movie yeah and she wasn't even a sports fan you know what i'm saying like that's how good this movie is you have some breakout performances from gina davis you have a breakout performance from rosie o'donnell and you have a breakout performance from madonna who shows up out of nowhere and you're like what the hell is going on what is madonna doing here but there's one scene in a league of their own that i'm glad you brought up pay marshall for because she did this by design those of you who know me know that i'm from the district of columbia the capital of the United States of America, Washington, D.C. In the District of Columbia, there is a league known as the Mamie Peanut Johnson League. That is, of course, named after the one of the three women that pitched in the Negro Leagues. Her grandson, Diego, is a friend of mine. And there is a scene in that movie where a ball gets overthrown and you see the Black women pick it up and bang it back to her. Wow. And she catches the ball and goes... And what it is, it's a nod to the fact that that league, for as progressive, as feminist, as as far as pro-feminism is concerned, and as sort of just generally cool as it was, they didn't let Black women play. Right. And they give just enough of a nod to that to sort of let you know that this was still something we understood as wrong. However, we didn't have the space to sort of address it in this film. Uh, to me, that's what makes this a top-class film, is that they stay just enough on history while still making it fun. That scene to me is still, it, 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 I get teared, I, I tear up every time I see it, because I think about Mamie, and I think about all those women who played, who weren't just white women, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's, that's a big part of that film to me, even though it's only a 30-second scene. I'm glad you brought that up, Jay Frick. It's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. It's such a great point. It's, it's a reminder that how different would the major league record books be if Satchel Paige was allowed, you know what I mean? Was allowed to compete. He'd strike out all of them. Um, Bro, listen, don't, don't, don't get me started. I mean, I don't want to, I mean, this is sort of a separate discussion once again, because you know, I, I am a baseball writer. So this matters to me. And never mind a baseball human. I don't acknowledge stats before integration. I just don't, you know what I'm saying? Like we could talk about George Herman. Like I get it, but like, as far as actual comparison points are concerned, I don't listen. If you weren't playing against everybody, what were you even doing? I wrote a whole column about this um, when Major League Baseball decided that they wanted to, as they used, elevate the stats of the Negro Leagues to the size of the Major Leagues. I was like, ain't no elevation, dog. Y'all were the ones separating things. So that's all very important to me. Um, You know, and I think about that kind of stuff a lot. You know, listen, America was a different place back then. I'm not dismissing any of it. But, yeah, you can count Clinton Yates on the list of people who do not care about anything regarding stats in Major League Baseball before they decided they want to let us play. It's, it's such a great point and a similar, um, a very similar thing that I, along similar lines of, uh, you know, as a, as a movie buff, I think as a country, uh, there's a giant racial reckoning going on, but as a movie buff who's studied the great classic movies ever, I'm having my own personal uh, reckoning where yeah. you look back at all the movies and, you know, all the ones you learn in film school, but yada, yada. And you're like, you know what? I had a realization that, you know, the best movies that were ever made were never made because they weren't allowed to make them. Great way to put it. uh, It it cuts across baseball lines, like you're saying, but also film history lines. And we're left to, you know, rank best Oscar winners ever. And then you you're sitting, you're sitting there and you're like, well, this is a narrow slice of the population. So I'm glad, you know, I'm glad we're seeing, I think, I think there's been a bit of a historic year of um, diversity in the nominees this year, but come on, man. Like one night in Miami and the five bloods and Ma Rainey. How does that happen? One night in Miami was the best movie I've seen in like 10 years. You know what I'm saying? Adapted from a play, tremendous, tremendous script. Okay. You're trying to put four guys that are completely historical in one room, in one place and write that out, bruh genius from Regina King who I've had a crush on since she was on 227 okay <laughs> was based on a family in DC talk to me Jay Frey I'm very happy to be talking to you right now one night in Miami it was one of my favorite easily one of my favorite movies of the year I was 
horrified it got snubbed for best picture. I'm glad it's, I'm, and she should have been up there for best director too. I, yes. You mentioned Regina King. I posted something on Facebook. I might be the first one to even notice it, but I'm watching it on Amazon prime. And um, every time she shows Sam cook, who di- we all know dies in a motel after the postscript, Malcolm X also dies. There are humans that believe that the government killed him because he was doing too much as a black man trying to actually make inroads into the recording industry from a publishing and writing standpoint, separate discussion, conspiracy theorists, but that's real. Hey, I mean, we all, we saw MLK FBI. We see how the the government was, I I guarantee that. Anyway, that could have been a hit job too. We all know. So anyway, um, but anyway, what I was going to say is when they, when Regina shoots, um, uh, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke, Leslie Odom Jr. And what's the guy, Ben Kingsley Adir, I think is his name, Malcolm X. Yeah. He, she shows them through these like vertical bars in the room, like they're doomed. Like that's an old film school trick, but like Regina's got, there's more to it. Everyone's like, oh, it's just a talky play adapt. No, she's got some stuff going on in there. She's got a lot going on. And I'd like to give a shout out to Leslie Odom too. I just saw this. I don't even know what I was watching. Apparently he's actually saying a lot more of those songs than people realize. I believe there's two, he sings, I would say probably around five times in the, in the film, but there's two actual performances. The last one in which he sings, um, Change Gonna Come, is actually him. Like, like it, it's, it's Odom, like singing, which is amazing. I, anyway, we're way off track here, but like <laughs> that movie is awesome. Check it out. It's a good fun ride and you can watch it with your parents. You can watch it with whoever you want. It's very good. Oh, I, I don't, and I don't doubt that that's him singing. I mean, he, remember, remember in Hamilton, man, he, he's the damn fool that shot him. He, I mean, he's got, right. a, he's got an amazing. Listen, okay, okay, listen, Jason. Hamilton is one thing. Sam Cooke is another. All right, <laughs> and he tackles the ladder with a plum. I love that guy. Yeah, it, it, it's perfectly way, perfect way to end the movie. You know, him singing "The Change Gonna Come," and then uh, Malcolm X closes his eyes, cut to black. I was oh. like. I was like Regina, and then she doesn't get nominated. I'm glad. I'm glad it's up for some of the acting and script and yeah. stuff. But man, anyway, yeah, we're sidetracking. <laughs> Fine, that's what we're here for. Um, all right. Uh, so after that, um, number three, I, a movie I know you love, and us, I know you love the sequel, but <laughs> I put the original on Major League 1989. Just the few movies can, int- other than maybe Star Wars or something, introduce such a cast of memorable characters. We have. Rick Wilding Vaughn with Charlie Sheen. We have, you know, Wesley Snipes as Willie Mays Hayes. We get Tom Berenger as the catcher, Jake Taylor, Roger Dorn, Pedro Serrano, um, the coach making hilarious zingers. Like, you know, he may run like Hayes, but he hits like fish. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what's that? What's his old age? Let me tell you the number of coaches when I was side saddling ground balls. Get that old age out of here, Yates. Get in front of the ball, let it hit you in the chest. I mean, like, Major League, I, I don't want to cut you off here, Jeffrey, but like, and listen, here's my take on Major League Two versus Major League. Major League Two is funnier than the first one, but it is not necessarily better. And a lot of people forget that most of the funny things that people remember are actually from two. You know what I'm saying? Like the catcher who can't, the catcher who can't hit the second base. I'm in a room. You know what I'm saying? You have no marbles. All that is too. All that stuff is actually from the deuce. But the point is, is that it doesn't exist without the first one. And that, that film, it's, I don't know, man. It's, it's, I don't know that there is a better sports movie that has been made in terms of what it was trying to do. The Cleveland baseball team. Are you kidding me? The known non-squad, you know, participants at best in Major League Baseball to that point. The notion that it took a movie to get that much pride in Cleveland because the team wasn't actually doing it. That wasn't going down. You know, I I don't know. And it's just, it's one of those things where I I feel like Major League is a movie that even if you don't like baseball or like movies, you should have to watch that movie because the way the dialogue is written from a sports context is fantastic. And also, this is a hardcore discussion in baseball circles. That last play where you send a runner on the bunt on the right. off chance that some old guy's going to make it and you're going to get a play at the plate. Nobody plays baseball like that. Okay. But you can believe it in that case because of the characters involved. You're that invested that you believe that the most ridiculous baseball play is actually good. Nobody scores for second on bunts on the infield. Okay. That's not real. Okay. But it's really major league and it's worth it. Quick sidebar. 
within Major League Two. And this is the most hardcore radio thing I'm ever going to tell you. It's okay. You and I had the Major League versus Major League Two debate at Rocket Bar one time. That's the Rocket Bar. Wow. I hadn't even thought. Oh, you know, if it still exists. If you never said that place's name again, I would have never remembered it. But in the second film, after Ricky goes through all the nonsense, he breaks up with the blonde chick, and he's like, I got to go back to my homegirl who's teaching. And he comes out of the dugout, and damn it, what's the guy's name? The guy who, the the guy who's the, the angry fan. Uh, one of the Quades. Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid. I forget who the Quades are. There's a good-looking Quaid and there's a bad-looking Quaid. Dennis is the better, the yeah, the, the charming one. And Randy yes. Quaid is Independence Day up yours. <laughs> exactly. So Randy goes, oh, my God, it's him. And the woman who plays the, like, technical director at the at Municipal Stadium at the time, she goes, hit it and, like, goes and puts a cart in a cart player and plays Wild Thing. Do you understand what that means from a radio standpoint? Okay, for all of those of you who don't know, back before we had replay machines and buttons to press, you had carts. They were little things that were like the size of two cell phones that you had to put in a machine, but they would play instantly. You didn't have to press play. And so when she hits the cart, it says, crank it, and then he comes out. I, I literally cry tears every time I see it. I watch it every time it's on TV. It's such a good point. And, um, you mentioned the the behind the scenes shots of the press box and stuff. Bob, we haven't we haven't even mentioned Bob Euchre with just a bit outside and take over, Marty. I'm in the bag. Like it's just so, it's gold. Boy, <laughs> exactly. And the best line, the best line that I used to say to young broadcasters when they would try to jump on air when I was on shows was, "Dynamite drop in, Marty. That year broadcasting school clearly paid off. <laughs> Dynamite drop in." absolutely it's unbelievable and i thanks for mentioning the way it ends because you know the natural it's all always the big home run and this is a small ball a bunt with the broken down catcher knees hobbling down to first and willie mays hayes coming around to score it is it gives me goosebumps it's sort of it's like rocky with the underdog kind of a finish uh except yeah, I guess, great it, great film great uh, final point on major league in terms of its influence my arguably my favorite funniest show of the year, Ted Lasso, totally pulls from Major League with the idea of this team owner trying to tank the team and all that. So, uh, yeah, the legacy lives on in, in the best times today of sports. Big time. Love it. All right, man. Uh, number two. Um, thanks for your time. You've been generous. We'll try to get you out of here. Number two, Bull Durham, 1988. Um, classic movie. Kevin Costner's Crash Davis. Um, you know, you got. Tim Robbins is Nuke Lelouch, the wild pitcher a year before Wild Thing Vaughn. And just, uh, the, you got the love triangle. It's like a sex rom-com as much as it is a baseball movie, the yep. church of baseball. But to me, it's like the minor, just seeing these minor leaguers try to make it to the quote, the show and, and doing the, the, the quotes like, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes it rains. I think nothing captured minor league baseball better than that movie. And it's, you know, and shout out, shout out to my cousin, Jake Fraley, who just got called up to the Seattle Mariners. From Let's go! He's in the show. So. That's He's awesome. So, okay, so let me tell you something. Bull Durham, how do I say this? Amongst the baseball movies for feature films, Bull Durham is the best movie movie. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You could show that, and the reason, and this is a, this is a scale I use for a lot of people, you could show that movie to a non-American and they would like it. You know what I'm saying? Because it, the interaction all makes sense. Um, man, there's so many things to touch on in that. But number one is, number one, what we'll start with is flooding the field for a rain delay when it didn't rain, when you're drinking highlights with your boys. Number one move. Um, the second thing that I'm thinking of is Crash Davis, by the by. I mean, incredible style icon, Okay. Pop collar, one hand, taking fungos while you're talking, not taking fungos, taking PP while you're trying to talk to your girl and explain to her what really happens in these bedroom streets. I mean, get out of here. White polos, iconic, iconic. But the main thing about Bull Durham is that what it does is it provides a level of connectivity to real life. And for those of you who are not actual big time minor league baseball fans like your boy Yeehaw, 
What Crash does after he leaves Durham, by the way, I've been to Durham Bowls, the Durham Bowl Stadium, not the old one, because it's not, they don't play there anymore. They played a new one, but it's still that sign that he hits is still there when he tells him he's throwing a curveball and he yangs it out on him. Hit the bowl. <laughs> hit the bowl. Um, he goes to the Asheville Tourists. The fictional home of Crash Davis, where he actually breaks the record, is Asheville, North Carolina. And let me tell you something, Great Jason Fraley, if you don't know this, my favorite minor league ballpark in America is the home of the tourists in Asheville. If you've never been, you have to go. It is magical on its own. And the fact that they picked that place as the secondary element to the story that actually has nothing to do with the film is amazing. Because you go to Asheville, great beers in Asheville, by the by. Um, and you're like, fun city, but I've never been to the ballpark you're talking about. You I have love the city. to go. You have to go. It's so, it's not, it's not even about it being nice. It's just that if you know it as the fictional home of Crash Davis's end of career, <laughs> it just takes on a whole new level. I love the tourists so much. I have so many, like, I own more Asheville tourist gear than any other minor league team in America, simply because I've been there. I've been there plenty of times, and I always buy the place out because I just love it. It's, it's great. I, that, that movie, Bull Durham, is just, I, I don't know, man. Like, you know, again, from a writing standpoint, the dialogue that happens on a baseball field, candlesticks make a great gift. Like, you know, like that kind of stuff. You can't His big speech he does. His big monologue he does. You can't make that kind of stuff up unless you know what you're actually doing. It's one of the, most, one of the best written sports films in the history of a film. I agree with you. And everyone check out the stadium in Asheville. I mean, I think you, in, in our area, I think you can maybe catch the Durham Bulls. They, they used to come up by the Frederick Keys and play against them, but you got to go down to the actual uh, in North Carolina. North Carolina, baby. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. Great, perfect, perfect script, Bull Durham. One of the great, regardless of the genre, it's a, it's a great script. Um, number one, so number one and number two are two Kevin Costner movies. It could be a controversial pick. I, Field of Dreams is my all-time favorite, number one, and it's not maybe even more than just being a baseball movie. Mike McMurdy, my old, one of my former bosses, uh, we always had this debate. Hold he, on. We're not just going to call Durham. Mike McMurdy one of our former bosses. Mike McMurdy is a legend. All around good guy. <laughs> Great guy. Love McMurdy. Um, we had this debate always in the newsroom. Uh, he, he's a Bull Durham guy, number one. I'm a Field of Dreams, number one, but I'm also love magical realism kind of movies. But um, I, I actually reached out to Kevin Costner to settle settle that debate, and in a phoner, and he so he kind of gave me one of those political answers, but I liked it. He said Bull Durham is the best pure baseball movie about baseball, but he said Field of Dreams went they had no idea, but it became our generation's It's a Wonderful Life, like it became this magical um, you know family thing. And to me, whenever when anyone asked me, you know what movies what movie makes you cry i'm sitting there thinking when he it's kevin costner playing catch asking dad you want to have a catch with the ghost of his dead father and i'm thinking of playing catch with my you know late grandfather and it's it's yeah. waterworks every time you get you know got not only costner but you get ray liotta as shoeless joe jackson a year before. which is which is a sneaky amazing sneaky amazing role for ray liotta that people yeah. forget about and i'm glad you brought up the emotion of that movie because a lot of people point to the scene you're talking about where he says, you want to have a catch? And he throws it to his dad. But I remember when the first time I watched that movie was, I was a kid. I think I had, I had injured myself. And so I wasn't playing. And I remember I was home watching movies and I watched that. And it wasn't the dad scene that got me. It was the scene where Moonlight Graham. Oh, Burt Lancaster. Breaks the plane to help the kid. I was like, what? I, I, I couldn't handle it. I was like, this is not, this is too much. You know, can't what I'm saying? I can't, I can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I was like, wow. And so that movie, the magical realism element, you're right, is, is, is critical. Like, it's not a good movie without that. You know I mean? It's the whole point of the film. So shouts to Major League Baseball, by the way, for trying to recreate that. They're going to play a game in Iowa, actually at the Field of Dreams field. And, you know, I still think about it all the time, man. Is this heaven? Nope. It's Iowa. You know what I'm saying? Like, best PR line for Iowa in the history of anything that's ever happened in Iowa or whether or will happen, you know, heretofore. So I, look, I, I love that movie. I think it's, it's hard to explain to me. It's hard for me to explain how like important that film is because like, yo, like that's, that's ultimately what it was. You know, you play baseball because you've got a dream, whether it's to steal a bunch of bags, throw the best curveball, maybe make it to the bigs. You know what I mean? Like turn a double play with your friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, the Field of Dreams is what baseball is. That movie aside, like the title of that film 
is so critical to what the success of the story is. And that is a hard thing to do. People forget about writing and they're like, oh yeah, scripts, costumes, soundtracks. Bro, if that movie is called anything else, it's not a good movie, but it's called the exact perfect thing. It's great. I'm with you. And I, I literally am getting goosebumps imagining multiple, multiple scenes. I mean, just, I can't see a cornfield without thinking of that. The, the guy's dis- ghost disappearing and these ball players that are almost stuck in purgatory because they threw the World yes. Series and they're working out their their penance. It's And you know what? We mentioned- Penance! It rhymes with penance, okay? You know, Z-axis level penance. stuff here, Jay Gray. I love it. I love it. But hold on. Before we go, before we go, before we go. James Earl Jones. We didn't even mention James Earl Jones' speech, by the way. They call that intertextuality in film school, right? You know what I'm saying? Where people can play different characters and you have to think about the other characters they've played. So him being the guy that owns the beast, also being homeboy, it's amazing. Uh I went to college. However, I have to bring this up because this is the reason why I did this all together. It's because there's one movie that truly actually made me realize that the first thing I ever fell in love with is going to be the last thing I've ever truly loved. And that movie is called The Battered Bastards of Baseball. Now, if you've never seen this film to the listeners, the movie is about the Portland Mavericks. And in the 1970s, for those of you who don't understand how baseball works, this was before minor league teams were directly affiliated necessarily with big league teams. And Bing Russell, who got shot Triple digit times in Bonanza and was a Hollywood God and loved baseball, decided to buy a baseball team and stuck it in Portland and made every single thing we know about game day operations today popular. Okay. The reason why brooms come out in sweeps is because of the Portland Mavericks. The first person to ever hire a female general manager in pro baseball was Bing effing Russell, okay? And guess who his star player was? Oh, that's right. By the by, a little guy we like to call Kurt Russell, who's (laughs) on the team as a player. And what happens is, basically, they got so good, they were so popular, and he won minor league executive of the year the first year that they ever played, and uh, it's heartbreaking for me to even tell you that because it's a real story. The big league teams were so upset with how good he was from an independent squad that when they played in the Pacific League playoffs, they were playing guys down. The equivalent of basically playing 15-year-olds in like a 13U in order to beat them and get them out because he was messing with their money. Danny, Al- the- Danny Almonte? The- <laughs> the, a DAS, a Danny Almonte situation, to quote the great Anthony Irwin Kornheiser. The movie is the best baseball film that exists for me in my heart. I watched that movie for the first time when I was in Portland and I cried for like an hour on my way to see the Hillsborough Hops who still play there and they sell Portland Mavericks gear in the Hillsborough Hops gear shop. Okay, go see that. That is the PhD level baseball movie for those of you who need a little extra experience with a little truth bomb on top it's amazing because he filmed everything jay frey it's real footage you know hollywood star starts a baseball team of course it's great it's amazing so that's that's sort of the you know existential awesome you know and it's a documentary so people don't consider it sort of the same level but like i'm sorry it's that good you know check it out oh Oh, the The guy who was the catcher for the portland mavericks guess what he invented what did he big league chew (laughs) same actual facts Actual facts. That's amazing. Check it out. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to mention documentaries, I mean, Ken Burns baseball is is a must. I could sit. Sure, Ken Burns baseball, but that's uh, what I'm saying is that that's a long sort of series situation. Different deal. Better basketball, baseball, you bang out in two hours and your life has changed. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Well, thanks for mentioning that. I'm sure there's a bunch that we missed. You know, you got eight eight men out, which was great. Um, You know, bang. Exactly. Love, love. Your strikes out. Which one did you say? Cusack. I'm saying eight men out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm sure listeners will write in with a couple others, but I think, hey, I think we covered movie? the big ones. Hold on, Damien, <laughs> Damien, what's your favorite baseball movie? Tell me. Major League. Major League? Yeah. yeah. Major Dose. Dose. Oh! Yeah. Vote oh. for Los Dose! I yeah. love it. I love it. Who Who's your favorite character? What's in my phone? Oh, by the by, and you, 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 at me on Twitter, Omar Epps better haze yes, than snipes. snipes you know why 
I didn't see Willie. Really, I, I never saw Wesley Snipes jump over a catcher to get to the home. I never saw that. Did that happen? Did Wesley Snipes do that? And then listen, you're not talking to a Wesley Snipes hater. You're talking to somebody that dressed up as Sidney Dean on national television for Halloween who lives in Venice Beach. Okay. This is not Snipes slander, but that is one of Omar Epps' most underrated roles. But I, I think the swag of Snipes was Different. a little bit more on point. Yeah. You know, that's true. Like, very true. Partly because he reminded me of this fool sitting next to me. <laughs> but um, I would go back to the question, though, I would have to say, being a pitcher, the wild thing was like kind of like the most identifiable. As a pitcher, like you just go through this, this, this like mental confusionary state of baseball at all times of the day. You know, like you think you're the shit, you, you think you're horrible, you, you know, you're waiting to be put in. It's a lifelong game of waiting, you know. But then, like, that, that, that few couple of minutes of just utter stardom is just, like, an uncontrollable feeling, so. Hole number one. If you hit it, you can name it what you want. You can name it what you want. <laughs> one of the best lines in that movie, actually. Appreciate you got the, the black rim glasses, the zigzag haircut, the yeah, what, are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? It's great. Uh, one of the things, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm reeling here, but whatever. One of the things I always wanted to do in college was find nine guys to dress up like the entire major league <laughs> lineup for Halloween. You know what I'm saying? Never happened, but it might, it might, you know, you never know. Well, your, your buddy said you got to play, you got to play. Uh, oh, I'm Hayes, for sure. And this was the best move. Double zero. <laughs> you just hit me with the marbles. Get out of here. <laughs> Are you the, would you be Snipes Hayes or Epps Hayes, you know? Oh, I'd be Yates Hayes. How about that? Time to go. Time to go, Jay Frank. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming oh, on, doing a full hour on baseball movies with us. I Come appreciate on, man. it. We're all friends, buddy. Listen, I know how this works, and I'm glad you keep up the good work, man. You're doing a great job. I check the shot all the time. Know that. Right back at you, man. Keep it up. I see you on Around the Horn all the time. So keep up the good work, man. Try my best, bro. Talk to you soon, all right? All right. Later, man. Later. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.